if you start to feel like you're leaning into something too much, there's an imbalance going on. And so you just have to sort of lean back a little bit. And I have found that when I'm leaning into something too much, it usually doesn't work out. Welcome to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. I talk to people that fascinate me every week on the show. And this week, it's a conversation with Dana Max. She's the founder of a global platform, the Be Happy Project, and a certified mindfulness coach. And we actually recorded this several months ago, back in March, and I hadn't aired it yet. And I listened back to it and I, you know, this podcast is so indicative of wherever I am in my life. Like I can look back, you know, years ago, I was like so into wellness. So I was getting really granular with the wellness questions. And then a few years after that, I was like feeling like a master of none and constantly asking about that. And then I wanted to move to New York and there's a lot of New York content. And then, you know, a lot about breakups <laughs> and you can guess what was happening then and then, you know, we had some space content when I was moving and, and getting settled in, in my own space and a lot on creativity. And, you know, you can tell what I was, what was on my mind this day. And we have a really interesting conversation, Dana and I, where we cover attachment and she gives some really great advice about letting go of attachment and her gratitude practice and like putting gratitude into practice, noticing moments, parenting. I loved listening back to this conversation. I forgot about all of it and it was really nice to hear. The second half of this episode is with James Michael from Northwest Cherries. If you've been listening all summer, you know that Northwest Cherries is helping make Let It Out possible for the summer. And with that, I am so grateful for this partnership. Please do yourself a favor and get some sweet Northwest cherries. They are bringing us today's episode and included will be an interview. That's so interesting. James was really fun to talk to. So I'm airing half of it this week and then tune in next week for the other half with James. And it's not like a conversation about cherries. <laughs> you know, we like talk about his experience working in marketing and why he chose to work with me. And my experience, I worked in marketing for six years in a, in a job, a full-time job. And we talk about the benefits of marketing. My old boss used to say, you know, we're not curing cancer. We're just marketing a product. And he had a really interesting perspective that we get to in this part of the conversation. And then next week we talk about some other really fascinating parts of the cherry industry and working with growers. And I really liked that part too. So tune in this week and next. I'm so grateful that you're here. If you like this show, please share it and Northwest Cherries is also bringing us an extra episode a week for the next three weeks, a Q&A episode. So if you want to submit a question, feel free, send it to me on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dilbout or follow Let It Out with three T's. Better yet, follow Let It Out, the podcast with three T's and submit your questions there. Send us a DM or, or comment on, we'll do a post about questions and, and put that there. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you like those episodes with Ella and I answering your questions on Mondays. And then of course, end of week episodes with interviews every week this summer. I'm so grateful I get to do this. I hope I can keep doing it forever. And I'm really happy that you're here. Without further ado, here are our two conversations. Dana, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy to to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. I love what you do, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's really funny. I don't even remember how we connected. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording about how we've had to like reschedule and move this a million times because I think you had sent me a message early during like Q1, I call it, of the pandemic <laughs> about connecting and and collaborating in some way you, on your Instagram account. Was that right? Yes. Yeah. I um, I was familiar with your podcast and I was like, yeah, let's do this if, if you're interested, of course. So, um, and you got back and yeah. How did you find the show? Oh, I think it was, uh, this was a while ago, but I think it was some website um, I was reading an article, and I could be wrong. I thought it was like style.com, but I'm not sure. And some some fashion website uh, recommended your podcast. Oh, that's very cool. I don't even know style.com, but thank you. I think um, it was style.com, but don't take my word for it, but I think. <laughs> dude, that's very cool. I should Google if the podcast is there. Um, so, so tell me more about you. So we were chatting a little bit before we started recording that you used to live in New York. You're from the East Coast. You're from Philly. Um, so I'm actually from, um, sort of like raised in New Jersey. I was born in New York City and then um, I moved to Philly and I've been in Philly, I don't know, maybe like five plus years at this point. It's good. Philly's like a quiet version of New York. So <laughs> I love Philly. I, I've been there a couple of times. I, I used to speak at this conference or con- like festival, the good festival every year there. And it was so wonderful every time we went out to eat, I loved it. Every, like the, everyone was really nice. It's so easy to get there from New York. I was, I always made the, just the joke of like, there are some places in Brooklyn that take longer to get to than getting to Philly on the train. It was so simple. Yep. It's so true. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's like, I don't know, an hour and I don't know, a half or something from uh, Philly to New York. And I, I used to do the commute on the train and it was not bad. It's actually very relaxing. So, <laughs> so what were you doing in New York when you lived there? Yeah. So, well, I was born and raised there for a few years, but then later in my life, I worked in the fashion industry for over 20 years. And um, I worked in as a designer for, uh, well, at first I went to Fashion Institute of Technology for design. And then, um, so that's in New York City. And then I started working for Betsy Johnson as a designer. And then I moved to Marc Jacobs as a designer. And then I started my own fashion business in New York City. And I had that for almost a decade. So I, New York City has a special place in my heart always. Oh, wow. So, okay. So you come, you have this background in fashion. Mm-hmm. And then now you work in mindfulness. And can you talk about that and, and what you do now? Yeah. So um, about, I don't know, it was around 2013. 
2015, the company that I had, it was a women's clothing company in New York City. You know, we were doing well. We, you know, had a lot of success. We were selling to stores across the U.S. and internationally. And we were on, you know, like every major celebrity and every magazine, all that stuff. But um, I could never compete with the big boys. And the big boys were like these huge designers who had so much backing and funding. And I just couldn't get to that place no matter how hard I tried. So I had to make the difficult decision to close my business. This was around 2013. And when I was doing that, it wasn't just for me closing my business. I literally felt like I was losing the love of my life. This was my dream since I was about seven years old. I always knew I wanted to be a fashion designer and have my own business. So this was something I was working very hard most of my life to obtain. And the loss of it felt like the the pain was so heavy. So I started the Be Happy Project, which is an Instagram account around the time that I knew I was going to close my business. And I did it solely just for my own mental health and um, maybe to inspire a few people. And I think my first post got like 10 likes. It wasn't a big deal. And it's just grown from there. And now we're at almost half a million followers. The engagement is super high and, and the community is just wonderful. Wow. So you went from your fashion business to making this Instagram about mindfulness, essentially. Yeah. So it's, it's really an Instagram. It started just with, you know, quotes about mindfulness and, and how not toxic positivity, but how to just heal and grow and try to remain happy and positive during the tough times. And it's just, it's grown from there. I mean, now uh, for the last several years, you know, we've done a ton of giveaways. We do a giveaway every month with like-minded brands with services or tools or products that will really help the community. I do an Instagram live with an expert in a variety of fields every other week. And we do, you know, we offer a lot of tools and services, just products that I personally have found really helpful for my mental health. um, And we provide that to the community as well. So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot that's now offered through the the platform. You built up this platform that's now really big and you're you're the person behind it. Is that overwhelming to you, especially, you know, thinking of digital wellness and, you know, so many people talking about social media and the the harmful effects of of it on mental health. I'm curious having started a platform there that was to nurture and and help with your mental health. I'm curious like how those two things interplay for you. Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't ever compare my journey with anyone else's. And I think there's enough room in this world for all of us to succeed. So the way that I go about the Be Happy Project is I just stay true and authentic to myself. I know what the community likes, what they need. And I use my intuition when I'm making decisions. I never just try and um, you know promote something or do something just for money or because I think it will benefit me I've turned down so many things just because I, I think the the heart of it has to be how can I serve the community. And so I do think there's a lot of toxicity through social media, but um, I think that's why the Behap Project is a safe space for so many people. Got it. What has been something that you've been learning recently? That Instagram's algorithm is never, it's always changing. <laughs> it never stays the same. So I don't know, for probably over a year now, Instagram has been constantly changing its algorithm. So that's been a big one. Outside of that, I think just staying true to the branding and the content that I've had since day one. And, you know, I, 
I think answering um, connectivity is so important, especially during this pandemic. People feel pretty alone and they're missing community. And so I respond to every direct message I get. I respond to comments on every post. I give people advice and you know, I make sure to tell people I'm not a professional, but I do offer advice when people ask for it just based on my own personal experience and what's helped me. And so just being there to support people is really important to me. What are you learning personally, like outside of of Instagram and social media? Ooh, I you know what? I I always think you you can't ever stop learning. And so for me, growth and evolving as a human is crucial to my heart space and my mental health and my well-being. And so there's not a day that goes by where I don't learn something. And I, I practice a lot of gratitude and breath work that centers me. And so when you're, I believe, centered in your mind and your heart, you're you're so much more open to receiving. Mm. You had a post on the on the Instagram recently about forgiveness. I would love your thoughts on on that and where you are with it now and how it's impacted you in your life. Forgiveness is a big one. I, I think forgiveness is really hard for so many. And I think the most important thing for people to remember is that feelings are temporary. We have to treat our feelings like guests. So we don't want them to overstay their visit, but we have to feel our feelings and get through them. And so forgiveness is one of those things. I think people think that when they're forgiving someone else, it's it's an apology and it's not. Um, it doesn't ha- have to be. You can be forgiving someone so that you can let go and move on. And so, you know, I think that release is very important. And I had to do a lot of forgiving of myself when I closed my business. Um, I felt a lot of shame and guilt. And so the practice and the art of forgiveness is crucial, I think, to our well-being. Yeah, I heard this quote recently in a in a 12-step meeting where they were talking about, and it, this isn't exactly what it was, but it was something like, it's not okay that that happened, but I am okay. I love that. And I've been thinking so much today. I saw someone who I hadn't seen in a while and I, I hadn't had a conversation that I was wanting to have with them. Mm-hmm. But so much time has passed that it no longer feels relevant. And that's okay. Like, it's not okay what happened. I never communicated that. Maybe they know on some level, maybe they don't, but I'm choosing not to communicate it. And that's okay. We can't control other people, but we can decide how things impact us. And that's really what I've been learning with this. That's a great tool. And I think it takes a lot of courage to practice forgiveness and to acknowledge what you're feeling. So, you know, whether it's, I am okay, even if you're going through something really difficult, just know you will be okay. And, or if it's, I'm not okay, things are really hard. I think just acknowledging where you are in the present moment and practicing forgiveness of yourself and others is is really crucial to our mental health. Yeah, that's such a good point because I guess it's like I'm okay now, but this has caused me pain or it's and it and it wasn't even you necessarily, but the situation or how I allowed it to impact me and acknowledging that and you know being okay despite of that and because of that because I think we can learn through things like that too is really 
so useful. You know, they say about forgiveness and re- holding resentment is like drinking poison. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing as, as worry, you know, it's like, yeah. it really only harms us. And that's, that's something I've been sitting with and, and learning <laughs> always. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that takes a lot of work and courage and people think, oh, I have to accept the pain or I have to accept that I'm not okay. But it's not about acceptance. It's just about acknowledgement. And so I acknowledge that I felt pain or that this person hurt me or I, I allowed this person to hurt me or, you know, I acknowledge that I am not okay right now. And so it kind of puts a buffer, I think, between you and that emotion and that experience. And that buffer is is key too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Is there any other concept or something that you've mentioned on the Instagram or that you've read recently or anything that has been a useful piece of wisdom for you lately? I think understanding that our feelings are just feelings is really important because people tend to think that they are their feeling. And so they say something like, you know, I'm mad or I'm I'm upset. I instead say I am feeling upset. I am feeling mad. And so I always believe in that buffer. There has to be a buffer between ourselves and our thoughts and finding something that anchors us so that we don't get caught up in that emotion. Um, And I did a lot of work on that. um, And that's the only way that I ever found true happiness was by creating this, this buffer um, and just practicing the pause, you know, before you react, before, if someone makes you mad and before you, you say something out of anger, just pause, you know, that person is not entitled to a response right away. And so taking space, to think through your thoughts and your emotions, you know, never say anything out of anger, um, or at least try not to, because I think that our words can be very damaging, not only to others, but to ourselves. And so practicing the pause and creating a buffer in our emotional responses is is really important. I think of feelings like the weather, you know, they, they Mm -hmm. come, they go, they're out of our control. Oftentimes they, you know, other people can impact our feelings. It's a wave that you have to, to, it's so affected. It's so cyclical. It's affected by the season. It's affected by um, our cycles. It's, it's complex. Yep. And it's so funny you use that word wave, because what I was going to say is that we have to learn how to ride the waves of life. I mean, there's ups and downs in life and um, having a toolbox handy of coping mechanisms and skills and or people that we turn to or practices that we have really helps us to progress forward. Yeah. So when you were working in fashion and and when you were a kid, like did you grow grow up with religion and spirituality and mindfulness? How did you get into all this? Yeah. Um so my mom was always a pretty spiritual person. Um, she always had like this, this strong relationship with God, at least I perceived it that way. Um, but ever since I was a little kid, I used to keep journals with um, quotes in them. I mean, I remember I went to camp and I would show off these journals. I would use these, I, I was very artistic. So I would write in these like really pretty journals 
other people's quotes, my own quotes. I would write poetry. And I'm talking, I was um, probably about like 10 years old. So it's kind of always been in my blood. And I think um, I've always been somebody that's wanted to grow and learn and do better and be better. And so I think if you have that mentality, you're like a sponge and you just take everything in. And for me, as I've aged, my spirituality is extremely strong. It it really centers me. Um, I always believe that the universe is guiding me. God has my back. um, And that's what anchors me in times of trouble and difficulty. Mm, I love that. You you had something on here today about beginning again. Mm. It was so beautiful. Can you talk about that? I mean, I think it's kind of with all of this, with all of spirituality and practices of, of wisdom or, or all the, you know, the quotes that, that we hear that are, can be cliche. It all comes back to like a few key things, which is like mindfulness, slowing down, being kind to each other and ourselves feeling our feelings fully and not coping. And, and when we do telling ourselves it's okay and beginning again. Yep. So I think, uh, beginning again is it's a very scary place to be because typically when we are beginning again, we're in a bad place, whether it's mentally, spiritually, physically, um, you know, it it can be anything. And so beginning again was huge for me because I had to start over and reinvent myself, my life, my identity, uh, reclaim my worth when I closed my business and stepped away from my lifelong dream. And so you know, I found that through time, I can look back and be grateful for where I was because it's brought me to where I am now. And beginning again is such a special place. There's so much magic in that. And I think a lot of times we don't realize it when we're in it, but sometimes our pain becomes our purpose. And so I've always believed that the universe had my back, like I've said, and, you know, it will guide me in the right way. And so I wanted to always remain open to the next chapter of my life. And so I love beginning again. There's fear, but there's faith. You know, there's so much emotion involved in it, but there's so much magic. Yeah. It's a fresh start is space, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. when we create space, newness and goodness can come through and there's, you know, it's jarring. And I think anything that is new can be change is jarring, but ultimately on the other side of that, there can be growth. Um, Yeah. 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 I agree with you. Yeah. So you have happiness in the title of your project. I'm curious, what is happiness to you? Because I, I often think of the Don Draper line from Mad Men where he says, happiness is the moment before you want more happiness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today I was having a conversation with someone and he was like, yeah, maybe if I just get this certain Jeep and if I move to the West side, <laughs> and if I do this, if I did, then I'll be happy. And he was like saying it in a joking way and self-aware enough to, to know that like happiness is fleeting, but what is it that we're all that we're all chasing. And, you know, what I said to him was like, I don't think that's how it works. I think this is it. And there are are moments of goodness within this, what's, what's here in front of us. Mm -hmm. Where are you with that? What is happiness to you? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the way to find happiness is to really let go and understand sadness. And so you have to just understand that to me, happiness is contentment, it's peace, it's living with gratitude, living in this present moment, it's finding joy in the little moments. And so if you add all of that up, you create this long-term happiness. So for the last about six, seven years, no matter what's happened in my life, and I've had some really bad things happen to me, I've always remained centered and I've always found joy and gratitude in that moment and just uh, lived with a sense of peace. And so no matter what happens around me, it's not happening to me. And I am able to live in a way where I allow life to lead me. And um, I'm grateful for that. And I think a lot of people think that happiness is achievement. Our value is based on materialistic things. So whether it's what kind of car we have, like you said, or a job promotion, or there's these like feelings of like when you fall in love to a lot of people, that is happiness. I've met the the person of my dreams, but those things, they can bring you joy, but they shouldn't equate to happiness because if that thing no longer exists, you're not going to be happy anymore. And so you have to find happiness within yourself and outside of that person or thing, things that are tangible or people that can come and go. So I've worked really hard on that over the last almost decade at this point. Yeah. It's, it's a moving target, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's always, there's always something you mentioned some hard things that have happened to you when you're in it and you're feeling so low, what has helped you to pivot when you're having a bad day? What helps you? So I think my faith, my spirituality really helps me to anchor me in that moment so that I have to remind myself that my thoughts are not facts and my feelings are not who I am. And so I just repeat those mantras over and over again. I take a deep breath. I calm myself down because a lot of times we're in these really scary moments or these moments of the unknown, we, our minds race, we start to overthink, our emotions get the best of us. And I think it's really important in that moment to just take a step back and just remind yourself that no matter what happens, I am okay. I'm okay. I'll be okay. And bad things happen in life. It's life, unfortunately. And so we have to find a place that anchors us. And for me, that's spirituality, like I said, but it could be almost anything for anyone. It could be meditation. It could be breath work. It could be, I don't know, the universe. It could be a good book. You know, it doesn't really matter. You just have to find something in that moment to bring you back down to reality. Yeah. You wrote me in an email that we could focus on the conversation on building a plan B from Mm -hmm. rock bottom. Is that what you're talking about here? Can you talk about what you meant by that? So plan B is to me, like you said, beginning again. And I think we've all been through a plan B slash beginning again situation, whether it's, you know, moving or changing jobs or losing somebody, whatever it is. We've all had this experience. And so when I closed my business, I was terrified. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of pain that I felt because it felt like, like I said, that I lost the love of my life. So with really, really good talk therapy, I believe in therapy, I was able to grieve and heal and grow. I think plan B is a magical place, just like beginning again, because it's, it's scary as anything, but 
so much wonderful stuff can come out of it that we can't even predict. I mean, I could have never predicted that I'd be where I am today because of my pain and because of my past. I thought that was the end for me. I was like, well, no one's going to want me. I'm never going to get a job. You know, that inner critic just spoke really loudly. And so to see where I've come is just incredible. And I, that's why I live in gratitude every single day. Yeah. I think on the other side of those really dark moments, like a lot of the things that have been hard for me, I never could have expected the growth that comes on the other side of that. Yep. It's hard when we're going through the tough times, you know, you got to like, you think about it, you're in a dark room and all the lights are out. You don't, you can't feel anything. You don't know where you're going. It's, it's really scary. And so life is like that. And then suddenly you see a light at the end of the tunnel when you thought there would be none. I mean, I was living for years, not thinking that any good would come out of it. Nothing would happen. And, um, you know, I really believe that God, the universe, the divine, whatever you believe in really has a path for all of us. And it's up to us to listen to that voice and make that voice louder than our inner critic. Because a lot of times what happens is our inner critic is so loud that we become very cloudy and we can't actually see or hear or respond to in a clear way what is really happening. We're so focused on the negative, uh, the overthinking, um, the bad things that are happening or will happen. And so it's important. We have to reel ourselves in and um, find clarity. Yeah. You also wrote in an email about social media and creating a social media, you know, you've built this, this platform and I'm more curious on like how it impacts your mental health because Mm -hmm. my friend Jess was, was on the show this week and we were talking about social media and, and she made this really good point where she was like, the bigger the, someone had recently mentioned her book and she had gotten, you know, more engagement or followers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, I got it when that happened. She was like, I got what our mutual friend Serena talks about who has a bigger platform and is on there longer. She's like, it's a high, you know, like it's a hit of dopamine. And so your Instagram isn't necessarily you, it's you posting other things. And it's so funny because I actually, like when I started on, on social media, I used to do someone, something somewhat similar. Like I used to kind of post other people's stuff and repost things and mix in with my stuff. And, you know, now I'm just like really couldn't care less about my Mm -hmm. presence there because I've, just realize that it's not good for my mental health to be so tied to it. And one of those, speaking of like a, not a rock bottom, but like a bummer thing that was happening was just losing so many followers on that platform and seeing my reaction to that at first being like, Oh my God, this is like my worst fear happening. (laughs) And then being like, why is that my worst fear? Like, why am I making this thing so special? But what Jess was saying is like the bigger, the influx of engagement or, or, you know, activating within Instagram, we'll say the higher the like dopamine release and the more addictive it becomes. So I'm curious, like, how has that affected you where it's like, it's you, but it's not actually you, but it's connected to you? Like, do you have ups and downs with that? That's a, I love this question. So because I was 
so emotionally tied to my fashion world, my fashion existence, my business. And it was me. When I get involved with Be Happy Project, I understand that it is not me. I am more than this platform. So no matter what happens to this platform, I'm going to be okay. And so I look at everything, whether it's a high or a low, the highs I'm grateful for in that moment, like us talking right now, I'm so grateful for it, but it doesn't define me. Um, My lows, if an opportunity passes or I lose followers or whatever it is, yeah, you know, it stings a little bit, but I just sort of pick myself back up and I'm like, okay, well, you know, the algorithm is always changing. Let me adapt a little bit. Let me use my intuition, see what I can do to um, navigate this. I never do anything that doesn't feel intuitively right to me, but I know that everything is temporary. Okay. This opportunity, this person didn't want to collaborate. Okay. Well, there's going to be somebody else that does. And so I just sort of, or they don't want to collaborate right now. It's not a good time, but you know, in six months, a year, they may, and, and that has happened on numerous occasions. And so just understanding that again, it goes back to that buffer and not catastrophizing whatever is happening in that moment that may be bad. And so, you know, I've just sort of, I've just the whole time I've just stayed true to myself and um, I remind myself too of the good things. Like I know there's so many people that I'm impacting on a positive way. And so on the bad days, I look through messages that people have sent me and, you know, things like that. And so quieting that inner negative critic of ours is is really important in creating a buffer um, between our heart space and our mind and whatever it is that we're doing. It isn't us. It does not define us. It is something that we are doing that we are, you know, passionate about that. It's our purpose, but it does not define our value, our worth. We are okay, no matter what happens. Yeah. That buffer that you're describing sounds like non-attachment. You know, you were so attached in your fashion career with this, this, you've lowered the stakes. And so... I think any time where we're holding on tightly when we're attached, it's a lot harder to have any sort of flow or ease and areas that I've been able to detach from and not care about as much and not be as tied to. There's been so much more flow and presence and ease and that is what I've been looking for, you know, like that is what I'm searching for in these areas that I'm tied to. And then really asking myself, like, why am I so attached to this? Is it outside validation? And anyway, it's, yeah, it's really interesting to like peel back and, and see that. And that, that's cool that you're able to, to not be so attached to something that is designed to be addictive and, complex and you know i'm sure that comes up too but it sounds like you have a really healthy relationship with it which is which is rare and really great thank you yeah well it took many 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 years of being way too attached to something to learn how to be not attached but still take things put my heart into it and yeah it's this, it's honestly it's become this like sort of natural flow for me at this time and um you know, there are definitely moments that are tough, that are hard. People have certain expectations or can you post more of this? Or, you know, I do something and I think it's going to go well and it doesn't or all those things that are involved in a bigger platform. And so 
I just sort of then step back and I take a deep breath and I try and learn from those things. What is this trying to teach me? I always ask myself, how can I grow from this? And that's, that's all we can do as humans. You know, we're human. We're perfectly imperfect. So, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on attachment other than that, or like finding yourself more non-attached? It's such a complex thing. And so I'd probably need so much more time to go into it, but Mm -hmm. I just think you need to have balance in life. So being in touch with your body is important to practicing non-attachment. You know, if you feel, and you start to get really good at this with time, but if you, if you start to feel like you're leaning into something too much, there's an imbalance going on. And so you just have to sort of lean back a little bit. And um, I have found that when I'm leaning into something too much, it usually doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't chase anything. You shouldn't chase happiness. You shouldn't chase people. You shouldn't chase opportunities. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard and you don't hustle and all those other things, but there has to be a certain level of balance going on. And so I'm now very in tune when that imbalance is happening and, and it did happen recently. And I was like, why is this not working out? And then I was like, wait a second, I am in that imbalance right now. I need to just step away from this and just release it into the universe. And I stepped away from this for, I think it was, it was like a week. It was a project I was where I stepped away from a week. And all of a sudden, because I stepped away and I released it onto the universe and I detached myself from it, the universe actually sent me amazing things after that. And so, you know, I believe in the law of attraction. And so we have to just, you know, there's this alignment that has to go on and it takes practice. It really, really does. That was so well said. Yeah. Anything that we're clinging to hurts us. And it's so, that is so hard for me of like the things I, well, as soon as I start to want something less, the pain dissipates, but it's like getting to that where I can pivot to stepping away. Like you said, like everything starts to kind of come as soon as you release it and, and let it go. It's that in between where we just are so stuck. I think people are scared, you know, scared to release it, scared to let go, to step away from it. But actually, it's actually much scarier to cling to, to chase. Um, and so just let it go. See what happens. For people who have yeah. never tried that, just just try it. How do you actually do that? Like, is there a way, like if it's a work thing that you really want or a relationship thing or a particular home or like what helps you to like actually logistically do the letting go of attachment? Yeah. So I think it depends on what it is. If it's something like a home, I say that, you know, whatever is meant for me will be for me. And so I keep reminding myself of that. If it's, I mean, I'm married, but if it's a relationship of any type, you know, this person may just not be that into me and that's okay. There are other people out there who will be into me as much as I'm into them. And I just let it go. Or if it's an opportunity, I just say, okay, let me, let me step away from this opportunity right now and remind myself of my worth and reminding ourselves of our worth and just whatever is meant to be will be. That's what helps me to navigate through that. And it takes practice. It just takes us, you know, instead of having this, like focusing on this inner critic of ours, I think it takes focusing on hyping ourselves up of our value, of our worth, of the universe has my back, that whatever is meant for me will be for me. And so you start to release this heavy energy. And like I said, the law of attraction, 
if your thoughts, your vibes, your words, and your heart space are all aligned, the universe will will give you things. And so, you know, you just got to get into this mental space of I'm okay. No matter what happens right now with this house, with this relationship, with this opportunity, I am still going to be okay. And just keep reminding yourself of your value and your worth. Yeah. It all comes back to self-worth, right? Like it's like to detach, you have to have the feeling of not this, but there will be something else. And to have the feeling of there will be something else comes back to, I am good enough that there will be something else. And so really it's a self-worth issue. It really is. And um, just living with gratitude. I mean, I, I write down, I have an app, a gratitude app, and I write down something I was grateful for that day, no matter how bad a day may have been at the end of every evening. And so I go to bed with a clean slate and then I, I wake up. My alarm is like very, I have affirmation music that wakes me up. And so I wake up and I rise in a positive way. And so it sets the tone for my whole day. And so it's sometimes like the little things that we do, the little habits If I have a tough day, I step outside for a breath of fresh air. I practice my breath work, whatever it is, you have to find things that recenter you. And so that the things going on around you are not consuming you. And you you start to realize these in practice that these things are happening for me, not to me. Do you feel like there's any other practices that you have in your life other than that one, maybe at the evening that you want to share any other habits or routines that help you? I have a toddler and so I need my time at night to just have my quiet time and my space to collect myself. And so self-care is really important. Even if it's a half hour, I know that that's my dedicated half hour to myself. No one's going to bother me. No one is going to interrupt. And if they try to, I say, I'm, I'm taking this time to myself right now. And so you have to um, sometimes put your foot down and create healthy, loving boundaries with people and express to people, hey, I really need this time. Can, can you help with this or whatever it is? Can you support me through this? And just acknowledging as you would to a friend, acknowledging and being kind to yourself that, you know, hey, I really need this right now. My, my body, my mind, my spirit, whatever it is, is telling me it's aching for this and prioritizing that. Because I think if you don't prioritize self-care, other things are not going to work out in your favor because you're telling the universe, I am not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of my own time, my own care. So why would the universe reward you? So just, again, it goes back to just self-worth and self-care and um, creating that that buffer. We always need a buffer. This week's episode is brought to you by Glamnetic. I am so excited about this. So I tried false lashes when I was in high school for the prom. And I'm pretty sure with the glue, I pulled out pretty much all of my lashes from that. So this company makes a product that is so cool. You can get rid of the lash glue for good when you want to wear false lashes. What's really cool about this product is that you'll never have to show up late because you're trying to put in your lashes. Again, I don't really wear luxe fancy makeup often, but you know, I might start because these are, I think I am going to start. In fact, 
these are so easy to apply. It's so fun. And my friend Christine always talks about, you know, when she turned 30, she wanted to wear more glitter and actually like do more fun things with makeup. And I'm feeling the same way. And I think especially after the pandemic, it feels good to get dressed up and try new things. And I think if you have an event or a wedding, Glamnetic Magnetic Lashes are for you. They are created to save you time and money. And these lashes are a real game changer. They've sold over 500,000 pairs of lashes in 2020. And I hopped on the train, gave them a go. They're really, really cool. And I think you're going to like them a lot. They make putting on lashes so easy. They're made to stay on all day and they get applied in a second. Lash glue doesn't stand a chance with these. I think it's just a way better way to use a product like this if you're going to use it. And it's more environmentally friendly. It takes under a minute to apply with no toxic glue, no struggle, up to 60 uses per lash. So that's what makes it more eco-friendly and wallet friendly. And there's over 75 styles, which I really love from natural, which is what I really go for. Or you can do like a full glam and you can do a different lash for every mood. And you just go to their website and take a quiz from their lash guide to find the style that best suits you. And what's cool is they have lashes for every eye shape and there's a 100% money back guarantee. So there's really no reason to not try it and it supports the podcast if you do. So just give it a go. Over 500,000 happy customers. Expedited shipping with free shipping to the US and Canada on orders of $30 or more. Found out for yourself why Glamnetic Lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack. Go to Glamnetic dot com slash let it out that's g-l-a-m-n-e-t-i-c dot com slash let it out and enter the code let it out for 30 percent off your order this code is only available for our listeners that's glamnetic.com slash let it out and enter our promo code let it out at checkout for 30 percent off i promise you guys these lashes are literally applying themselves thank you glamnetic This week's episode is brought to you by my favorite Northwest Cherry Growers. My summer sure would not be complete without today's sponsor, Northwest Cherry Growers. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the delicious, sweet, summertime superfruit Northwest Cherries. Beyond their crisp, juicy flavor, deep red color, sweet cherries pack an abundance of nutritional benefits to support your health year-round. Research shows that sweet cherries have a positive effect on inflammation, blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, cognitive function, and even sleep. Do yourself a favor, add sweet cherries to your shopping list today. They're now available online and in grocery stores nationwide. Tis the season for cherries. Keep them in the fridge. That's the best way I like to enjoy them. Visit nwcherries.com slash sweet health to learn more. That's nwcherries slash sweet health to learn more. Let's wrap with some quick fire questions, but some of these are longer. Just say the kind of the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your life right now? Spending time with my family. Uh, it's been unexpected. Seeing my parents every day and my sister every day is pretty, and my husband every day is pretty special. My toddler. Oh my God. There's so many. <laughs> so you're, you're in a house with your, is it the house you grew up in? No, it's a different house, but um, I'm in a house right now with my parents, my husband, my toddler daughter, and my sister. And so it's, mm. 
Full house. It's so nice. What has been coming up for you? Like, what have you learned in that experience? Ooh, that time is precious. I've just learned that I probably will not ever have this again. And so um, at some point, you know, everyone goes back to work, maybe goes to an office again. We will be back in our house. My sister will be back in hers and my parents will be back where they are. So without everyone there. And so just living with gratitude for this is, is just really amazing. Mm, yeah. What is your greatest lesson on parenting? You know, I try to be, I try to live with this conscious parenting in my head and just using my intuition is key with my daughter. And I always do what I feel is right for her. And I collaborate with my husband. And so you know, it's, there's ups and downs, but creating a safe space for my daughter is really important. We talk about feelings. We talk about affirmations. She's only two and a half, but these are things I've done with her always. And so I want to make sure she knows that she's safe to come to us and, and open up. Mm. What about greatest lesson on romantic relationships? How long have you been married? So we've been married, I think since 2016, um, but we have been together for 14 years. And so the greatest thing I learned about love is that it takes two people who want to be together to make it work because any relationship in in life takes effort and takes work. And um, I think sometimes, you know, you forget that, especially when you have kids, it's hard to focus on the two of you. And so we, we make a conscious effort to go out on dates, to hold hands, to maybe like binge watch a show one night, whatever it is, to compliment one another, to show our appreciation and support. And so, yeah, it's a conscious, conscious relationship all around with my child and with my husband. (laughs) Mm, I love that. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? So I'm really into, um, it's so weird, but it's a sesame seed butter. (laughs) I love to eat I love it. And I will literally like scoop it out of a jar. It's my favorite thing right now. (laughs) So good. What's your greatest lesson on friendship? You know, I think that uh, especially during COVID, I haven't seen a lot of my friends. And so I have to make a conscious effort to be there for them, to just text them. Like if I'm thinking of someone, I will literally just, before it slips my mind, I will reach out to that person and text them. Hey, I'm just, I'm thinking of you. How are you? And I think that goes really, really far because we're missing those hugs and those like one-on-one talks and all that kind of stuff. So being there for people, even if it's from afar and knowing that they are important to you is important. Yeah. When you feel overwhelmed or disorganized or you don't have enough time, do you have anything that helps you? How do you make time and space? I try to ask for help. I mean, usually I turn to my husband, but I also see a therapist. Um, I've gone to therapy since I was 15 years old. I, it's been crucial to my growth and mental health and to who I am today. And so I think getting rid of the stigma that going to therapy um, is a negative, it, that's my focus. I, I, I'm really proud that I go to therapy. I mean, my therapist was at my wedding. That's how big I am into therapy. And so I think it does a lot of good. And so just acknowledging that is important. We've talked about spirituality. What do you think happens when we die? Where are you with that? 
You know, I think the, I'm trying to get more comfortable with the idea of death because it's, it's the unknown. We never know what's going to happen. And I think more than death, what I think is scary is um, it's always worse for the people that we leave behind. So I think about my family, I think about my friends. I don't want them to feel any pain, but I also want them to, to know how loved they were by me. And so I remind myself in this present moment, because all we have is this moment. None, we all have an expiration date. And we don't know when that is. And so I try my hardest to let the people that matter to me most know that I love them. I appreciate them. I never want to pass this earth without people knowing how much I love them. Mm. mentioned therapy before i'm curious do you have a greatest lesson that you've learned from therapy or something that's really stuck with you i think uh one of the biggest lessons i had to learn was letting go of um i had this like obsession with what people thought of me and so i you know letting go of caring about what people thought of me was really important in my development um, and releasing shame and guilt and learning how to forgive myself through the process. And so those things are crucial if we want to get to a place of healing and growth and happiness. How do you do that? I need to do that. And I don't know how. <laughs> it is hard. It takes, um, it takes a lot of work, but I think shame is really what's behind all of that. And it goes back to owning and claiming our value and worth um, that, you know, honestly, people don't really care. It may seem like they care, but they have their own stuff that they're going through. And so I just, I quiet that inner, that inner negative voice that I have. And I just remind myself, like, I'm still worthy. I am still a value. And I create a buffer, like we talked about between that person, that thing, and myself, my thoughts and my heart space. And I anchor myself in my faith and my spirituality and hope. Yeah, man, it's hard. I really <laughs> wish that I could just not be so addicted to the validation and approval of others, but I'm just not there yet. <laughs> it takes work. You are not alone. I can certainly tell you that was the biggest thing um, because I lost my identity when I closed my business. My outside of val validation and approval from others was everything to me because I was in this industry where that's what it was. People's perception of my success was how well my business did was based on that. And so um, because I was my business, um, I felt a lot of shame um, when I left. I thought that everybody that I knew in the industry was judging me. Nobody was going to give me a job that they thought I was a complete failure. I was a loser how could I give up on my dream? All these things. And so it took a lot of work to realize that, wait a second, I am so much more than the dream that I had. I am so much more than what my business was. Um, and I started to name all the things that were really good about myself. And, you know, it just took a lot of talk therapy to release that need. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, you know, if, if somebody thinks I'm cool, great. I, I know I'm cool. If someone thinks I'm not for them, well, I'm for me. And so, you know, you just sort of get to this place where you're humble about, you know, about things, but you're, you're living in a space of self-worth. It's so important. Yeah. I really admire that and want to 
move more in that direction and not be so tied to it. Yeah. Yeah. I promise if you're in a space of, I want to get to that place, you will get there because the, the need to get there and the, the pain and like the constant feeling of not feeling good. You know, when you get tired, and excuse my language, but when you get tired of your own shit, that's when you're going to start making changes in your Mm -hmm. life. No one can do it for you or make you do it. And so that's what happened to me. I was like a rock bottom and I was like, I just feel horrible and I don't want to feel this way all the time. And you just slowly, but surely you just, you grow out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> I do promise you, cause I get from you that you really want it. And if you really want something, you'll do the work. It, t- it to me always, t- I always say it takes the self work to get to the self like, to get to the self love. Mm, yeah. One step at a time. Okay. Well, what are you most curious about right now? I'm curious when all of this will end the pandemic. Be able to hug people and go out to dinner and do whatever I want. Um, Yeah, same. Okay, so just uh, like a time to recommend things. Book, music, podcasts, food, TV show, anything that you want to recommend? Yeah, so um, I'm big on self-help books. Uh, Some of the best books I've read, Brene Brown has terrific books on shame. So if you're trying to, and this may be helpful for you, if you're trying to get past that need for outside validation, oh my God, um, I think the book was, oh my God, I can text it to you. I don't don't remember the exact name, but there's two books that I read by Brene Brown. Of course, I'm blanking right now that are fantastic that are about shame. I think it's because it's me, it's not you, something like that. And uh, The Gift of Imperfection is the Mm -hmm. other book by Brene Brown. And those two really changed my life. Uh, The other book I highly recommend is Debbie Ford and it's The Dark Side of the Light Chaser. Oh yeah, she's great. Uh, You know, I met her in person once and she was just the kindest soul Mm -hmm. and uh, it really saddened me when she passed. Um, But that book was incredible and it just shows us that there's a dark to every light and a light to every dark. And sometimes when we see the dark in other people, they annoy us or there's something about them that really irritates us. It's because we have that in ourselves. And and on the reverse too, if there's um, somebody who's really excelling at something or you know, we admire what they're doing. It's because we have that in ourselves or else we wouldn't be able to see any of these things in other people. And so that's another fantastic book. Um, so those would be my recommendations for today. <laughs> Love. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to share? The name of the show is Let It Out. So did you let out everything you wanted to? Is there anything that you never get to talk about that you wish that you could let out? No, but I think, um, you know, I love the phrase, let it out because it's like, let it go, release yourself, be true to yourself and who you are. And um, just remember that you are always worthy of this very moment that you've been given. And um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. And um, just to believe in yourself and, you know, where you're going and where the universe is leading you. Have faith. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you shared and for being here. And I really appreciate you so let's just end with our let it out deep breath Mm. inhale let it out (sighs) i love that i love breath work (laughs) thank you so much dana oh thank you i am so grateful for you and for this opportunity and thank you so much 
Okay, that was my episode with Dana Max. She's really cool. Follow her on Instagram and keep in touch with everything she's doing. I loved this conversation. And next up, we have from Northwest Cherries, our favorite, James Michael. Thank you so much for for being here and for doing this, James. It's it's really nice to talk to you. We've been talking for a little bit before we started recording, and I was starting to tell you how excited I am about this partnership. As soon as I got the email for it, I was like, is this a joke? Like, is someone playing a prank on me? Because it couldn't be more aligned. Like I had a series on my Instagram for a while that you all didn't even know when you reached out, but it was called Today in Fruit. And I would share a piece of fruit every single day because I love fruit and eat it so often. And, you know, my, something that I've, I've talked about a lot in my, in my book and in the podcast is having an eating disorder where I denied so many things for so long. So it was kind of a nod to celebrating that and just really fun and funny and weird. And so when cherries, the fruit reached out to be a sponsor of this podcast. I told all of my friends, I was so excited. Like, cause I would always joke. I'd make the joke of like, wow, I wish like an apple or a cherry and cherries are like my actual favorite. So I, I would make the joke like as a, you know, like, of course that couldn't happen sort of a thing. And then here we are dreams come true. <laughs> so thank you so much. Right. Well, you know, I think if you have, if you think about something enough, then you, you really have a plan, uh, whether knowing or unknowing, the universe tends to align itself that way. Um, I'm glad this worked out. This is, and how out of the thousands, millions of podcasts out there, I wasn't a listener before, I am now, mm. but uh, yours came to the attention of a, of a group of really great people that I, that I work with. And as they were describing it and talking about a little bit about your story, but on the focus of health as a whole person, you know, the mind and, and the body, um, but just had a really centered conversational approach to it. And that's certainly the kind of thing that you know, we want to align with. I mean, there's so many, when you have an opportunity to, to promote your messaging in a way that, that could help others, you know, help us all reach a broader audience. And it's just, it's the way it should be. Yeah, so, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> well, and the, and the nice part is, I mean, I I'm fortunate to to get to do this job and and represent the products that I do. I, I came from the the wine industry before that, and and now with cherries, and you know, it's not it's not something that someone has has to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I hope they hope they need them. You know, but it's uh, or cherries anyway. But you you're able to really promote the the reasons you believe in your product, the reasons you think it's special, the reasons that the cherries, you know, are, are worth a look. Uh, and if it makes sense to that person and if it's in their budget, then, you know, we hope that they will try cherries, you know, just for the flavor. But it, it's not something that, you know, the daily bread that, that someone needs. And so it really allows, you know, as a person marketer to, to get creative and feel like, all right, what, what big things can we do? What can we do to help, you know, create attention for this group of growers and, and what they're doing? You know, what can we do to create a little attention for the product and, and how can we help do good things with that along the way? Um, it's just exciting partnership all yeah. the way around. So, yeah. and, and thank you for the opportunity to, to sit down and then talk. You know, it's just oh. fun. 
I agree. And it's like, I, I can tell that we, you know, kind of see the world similarly just from, you know, the, the way you're talking about things, because I really do believe that like when I don't say yes to any partnerships that are like, obviously, you know, problematic or like not something that I want to do. Anything I talk about on the show, like has to feel perfectly aligned and like something that I really truly believe in and love or it just like won't work for anyone involved you know and that's not to say that like every partnership is going to be as aligned as the other one like there there's definitely like there's a variant you know like they vary for sure but it's really important that I'm aligned with it and I think you know it's like what you were saying is the way you're helping the growers and what you do with marketing is a rising tide lifts all boats sort of situation, you know? And I think this, this partnership, like, again, not that everything gets to be like this, but when it does, it feels so good because it really is. Yeah. Yeah. It goes down real easy, you know? And, and I, 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 I worked in marketing. I had a full-time job in marketing for six years while I was doing the podcast and everything on the side. And, you know, before I did this exclusively. And so I had a, my boss would always be like, it's marketing. We're not curing cancer here, you know? And I really liked that understanding of things, you know, of like, it's a bit lighter and not to take things too seriously. But at the same time, like there is a reason for marketing and I think it can get, and I'm curious, like your thoughts on this as someone who has a very successful career in it and has worked in wine and agriculture. And I think that people can look at marketing or advertising as somewhat manipulative or like you're trying to get someone to do something. But again, like we're kind of saying here, like when it is actually aligned, it's the only, I, I don't have a word for it other than like rising tide lifts all boats, you know? Right. Right. Well, so and, how and do you to, wrestle with that? To, and to flip the script on it though, yeah. um, there's an exercise in self-thought because when you're trying to look at something logical and broad picture, right. It's, it's mentally exhausting, right. You have to really to feel honest with yourself, you have to go down both roads and really look at things and, but to flip it. So if you did figure out a cure for cancer, how would you get the message out? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's such a rigorous process that, you know, the, that industry has come up with medical research industry to help the scientific community to help have some standards, have peer reviewed journals, have, you know, academic review so we can trust the data, trust the science, but at the same time, what about the, how does that word get out to people or to 8 billion people around the world, you know, to 400 million people, you know, around the country. That's the challenge that, that we're, you know, work with as, you know, in our capacity for the growers, you know, we're doing that health research, the growers themselves. So we work for this Northwest cherry growers. It's a little over 2000 growers spread across Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, and Montana. So collectively, you know, the most of them are small farmers and, you know, their cherry orchard might be in harvest for a week and a half. You know, that's their one shot at harvest for the year. But all year long, you know, there's there's work that they're doing in the orchard and uh, a lot of them are growing apples and, and other crops. And so our organization exists. We, we track the shipments and the data. We try to estimate what the crop will be. We work on consumer marketing. We work with retailers to make sure that everything's aligned for such a short season but we also get to do health research on behalf of the growers. And it's all, all of our funding comes from the growers themselves. They self-assess themselves. And, and that goes into a central pot that we use for, for all of these programs, you know, as well as export market development and 
you know, like several dozen other different duties. But on the health research side, it, it's amazing. You know, as, as a state agency, we've had the opportunity to work with the USDA much more closely. And we've been able to, I mean, we're not at clinical endpoints. That's, you know, decades in the work, but we're 20 years into this and to identify some some really key benefits of this product that that we all love to grow. It's finding a reason that it's not just this great taste. You know, the reason we love cherries, biting that cold cherry on a hot summer day, you know, it's, there's more to it. There's more value to it than, than just a simple piece of fruit. And so when you get to, when you hear about things, these exciting leads and you get to get it to a research stage and then get that research published and reviewed. And then you get a couple more and you start building this body of evidence and then you get some really neat messaging. How do you get that out to people? How do you get that out to consumers? How do you get that out to the person in the grocery store or you know, sitting on their couch with their Instacart app? If they're making a decision between some different fruits and one of them may have an impact on, on something that's really personal to them, you know, a health issue or how do you get the message to them that option A may, you know, benefit that. And so that's the fun of it, you know, that we get to come up with these opportunities. And, but like you said, it's, it's not, uh, it's not cancer research. So we get to take some, some risks. We get to take some, you know, some fun opportunities and some fun shots and like finding new podcasts uh, and finding new people to talk about and, and new ways to, to get that message out there about those yeah. benefits. That's such a good point. And that, thank you for, you know, I, I didn't mean to belittle marketing, but I, not at of, all. Are you kidding? But I sort of, you can't, did. You can't be in marketing and not <laughs> and, and worry too much about, uh, well, a criticism, you know, but certainly be, you know, different ideas. I, I didn't think that at all. Well, but I mean, you did such a good job. That is such a flip on its head. Like with, can- yeah, we're not curing cancer, but if we did, who you do, that needs marketing too, you know, right. like we did focus groups for the first time. So we're really trying to understand this health research and how are we reaching people? You know, what messaging is getting out there? And we've made some great strides. But how do you measure that? And so we did some focus groups. So I got to sit in, you know, it's virtual. That's so it's like a Zoom session, but you're just, you're lurking there. You're just watching. It's all questions that you've asked. And this is, it was a really representative group from all over the country, all walks of life. Um, and hearing what the, the, the thing that unified everybody the most, um, and of course, you know, we were asking about health issues that are, that are significant to them, fruits and you know, benefits that they know about. Um, would you be more interested in a fruit that had this benefit? Just getting a general understanding. The people were all over the board, but where they got most unified was talking about their need to go beyond their first uh, contact with a new piece of information. You know, a lot of people still with Facebook. Some people still watch the morning news shows, but it's more background noise. They were only in the weather and the traffic. You know, we're interested in where people get information. Reddit, obviously, um, Twitter and Instagram, you know, Facebook and Facebook aligned with some of the, the demographic studies you see about it. You know, those who used it, those that didn't. So, but what was fascinating, all these groups and all of these people, they all talked about the need to go deeper than that. And so they would go to two or three sources. And I think that was always, you know, prevalent you know, in as consumers. You know, we all do that. But I think the last 18 months have really risen that level of distrust of information out there. And so that's always something you need to be careful with as well. You never want to be, you're trying to push a benefit, a health benefit, especially for some really serious diseases. You know, cherries have been shown to, you know, the anti-inflammatory benefits, you know, can help affect all sorts of chronic diseases and cancer and cardiovascular disease and things that are really important to people. 
but you got to figure it just the, the right way to you know get that message across. And some of the research has been powerful. You don't want to undersell the work that these scientists and these growers, you know, have invested in all, all this, but you don't want to make it too big, too splashy, too promising, you know, to, to trip the, oh, this must be false, you know, meter, uh, which is higher than it's ever been from the sounds of all those focus groups. Yeah. That's really interesting. So did podcasts come up as a way to, that people get uh, some did, Yeah. Especially focused podcasts. Um, and that was kind of, we threw it on there. We were already looking out. I think we had already been talking about it at that point, but um, it's kind of nice to, to solidify your, or, you know, your, your decision-making, but it, it's people trust an expert that they've come to know. People trust their family doctor. Even if you do careful research into a doctor, people do more now, you know, the, the resources on the web, but it was somebody you knew as a community member, you know, they had some experience and he developed a trust because there's familiarity with that person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we are with influencers um, and, and podcasts and so many things out there that, I mean, when there's a very low bar to become something, um, then obviously there'll be a lot, but at the same time, people that are honest, that are genuine, that are deeper than that. I think they're, their work rises above and that's where you see that's where you see the success of being an influencer or you know getting messaging out and having discussions through a podcast because it can be it can be one-sided you can generate content and throw it out there to the world or it can be you know like yours more conversational you know engaging with your audience and really having it it's a back and forth discussion but being your role to to, to listen to amplify to reason and then to share. And that's kind of what we do as marketers as yeah. well. Try to find that right message wavelength for the people that are, you know, that are looking for that information. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, it's, I was just talking to someone about this um, earlier today. I do creative consulting and I was talking to someone. She was like, well, do you think I need to start a podcast? And I was like, no, I don't. I like, I don't think anyone needs to do anything. I will say that it has given a lot to me. I believe podcasting for me has become the new networking and a way to connect with so many people. And I think it's a welcome phenomenon in the age of sound bites and TikTok and quick thinking. Like this is something that's been around for hundreds of years. It's radio and it's conversation mm-hmm. and it's storytelling. And I think there's something about that that's really calming to me. And it's, you know, the best compliment I've ever gotten about this show is that you know a friend of mine who lives alone she she lives in a studio in new york and she says that she turns it on when she you know is alone at night and doesn't want to turn on the tv like you said with background noise and doesn't want to call a friend but wants to not be in their own mind you know we have to protect ourselves from our own mind and i think for me at least too much time in there by myself and I can spiral down some paths I don't mm-hmm. want to go down. So being distracted by something friendly and familiar, if you're learning something great or you're seeing the world in a different way, great. But you also might just laugh or feel less alone or be reminded of something that you already know. And I think that's that's a welcomed, you know, something that I hope stays around. Oh, for sure. No, you said it well. It's it's that that comforting voice out there, like you know you're not alone. Um, something to focus on if just in the back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like with marketing and with influencers and, and, and what you're doing, connecting with them, I think, like you said, you can tell when something is forced, you know, mm-hmm. what you can tell when something isn't, isn't genuine. And, and I think I can tell 
because I know the the host, right? Or like, I know the person presenting the information. And I think, you know, I've been doing this for nearly 10 years. And so the people who, not that everyone listening has been listening for that long, they haven't, but, you know, I think people do get to know me through this and would know that if I, you know, was working with a partnership that wasn't aligned, like they'll know. And that's good because it means that there's a connection. And I think, you know, if the last year has, has taught us anything, it's that we, you know, I think we're so starved for conversation, intimacy, that and connection in general, that will settle to eavesdrop on other people having a conversation, you know? Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, it's that, you mentioned it's that little thing, you know, just to be able to offset that part of your mind. And I think that, uh, see, this will sound like a marketer, um, but it's a natural conversation. So I'll be curious, what do the listeners think? Um, But, you know, if you're sitting there, and it's the evening, you want a little snack, you open your fridge, and there is that bowl of cherries, you know, and you know, you learn, oh, it is low glycemic, you know, so you don't have that like sugary spike. Uh, There's melatonin get a little more restful sleep, you know, helps you fall asleep. It's cold, it's crunchy, it's sweet. And so eating it, if you, if you can get in that mindset, if you can, or get out of that mindset really, and just be present and enjoy that bowl of cherries or a few handfuls of cherries, you know, there's that, you pop the stem off the cherry and that'll crunch. And, you know, in doing that, even if you're flipping through your phone or, you know, reading the paper or wiping down on the counter, or, you know, you're doing something with it, but there's that little activity, like a, a podcast, like a soothing voice, you know, in your ear, but there's that little extra reason, you know, not only is it delicious, is it fun? It's sitting and satisfying those cravings, those urges, but it's also good for you. You know, you're actually like, you're helping yourself. And I think that that's a really, we can get into that way as consumers and savor that um, uh, value what we have, you know, what, what the earth can provide. I think that's a, it's a healthier step for all of us. Yeah. I love that. I'm curious a little bit more about your background and experience because I read in your bio that you, and your connection to, to food and, and agriculture, because I read that you started working on a farm early in your life when you were, very young. Um, can you talk about that and, and how it led you to work in Northwest agriculture now? Well, yeah, I'm sure I identify with a lot of family businesses out there. Uh, you start when you're young, um, you, don't, you don't really have much of a choice. Uh, it goes into that quote unquote college account, you know, that you're working mm-hmm. for. But really it was the family farm in, in lower Yakima Valley, Prosser area. And, and it's just where I grew up, you know, visiting. And then when it started sixth grade, I moved over there full-time with my family. And and so we're farming this, this vineyard with my grandparents. And this is a great way to grow up as a kid. And mm. you know, grandparents' house on one side, our house on the other, but plenty of options to get across the farm, you know, and their dogs and our dogs and plenty of space to run around and enjoy things, horses and um, you know, and everybody around you, especially you know, my grandparents had been there for a long time. And so you knew all the neighbors and all the land. And eventually I met a, a friend that was you know, half a mile down the road and I could just cut across all the farms, you know, and I knew everybody and, you know, and I see, you know, grew up and got older and you realize that in a community, when you have a sense of community, you really transcends a lot of dissimilarities, you know, a lot of otherwise, you know, big divides that we see in the world. And so you can be a very different person 
but if you all are working on a shared set of, of values, you know, there's, there's that sense of community. And, and so it was just a really a nice spot, but you really don't have to get far out of rural areas to see, you know, explosions of houses and strip malls and the needed space to, for humanity. And, and so that, well, I love working in agriculture. I love supporting, you know, growers and, and what they're doing. But I like air conditioning, especially right now when we're under this heat dome. And so there's got to be a way to help agriculture, help farms stay farms and help growers keep growing. And I'd be able to do that from air conditioning. And, and so that led to college and international business and the wine industry down in, in Oregon. And then eventually returned back to the family farm where you know we lived and, and now um, the cherry growers for well, since 2009. So, wow. I didn't realize you'd been with them for that long. It's a big circle. Yeah. A lot of ups and downs. Wow. The nice part is I started on my first day, 2009 was also one of the worst days in the cherry industry. It was just a huge crop and we didn't have the optical sorting lines, the optical technology that we have now. Then, so a lot of it was old roller equipment, you know, that will work just fine, but not for that volume of fruit in that short of a time period. Mm -hmm. Cherries are, are picked, packed, and shipped usually in 24 hours. They're a fresh product. And so it was just, it was absolute disaster that year. And so my first day, I mean, it was you know, literally like those Wall Street movies when you think everything's going haywire. But the wow. nice part was that literally and everybody knew, no matter how upset you were, no matter how much money they lost, it could not be my fault because I literally just started. And so yeah. that... But they're also been supportive and need a lot of research and find opportunities. And that was the big pickup in our health promotions, because when you're when you are really counting your pennies, uh, making those decisions, if, if there's a health issue out there that's important to you or a benefit that's important to you and you have that information, then, you know, it just helps you make helps influence that that emotional decision there at that point of purchase and cycling back all the way to the, the start of our conversation, you know, that's, that's something you can feel good about as a marketer. You know, you can, you can get creative, you can have fun, you can take some shots to see if, you know, you're just trying to reach that person, give them that information. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but hopefully there'll be more and more. And if not just for the, for the health of cherries, for the taste of them, you know? Yeah. So you, you grow up on this farm, you, you know, end up working in wine and then eventually over 10 years ago, make the move to helping growers what are the similarities and you know why did you want to move into to working in fruit i like the the excitement the opportunity with cherries um you know every industry has its axioms and the, one of the ones you learn first in the cherry industry is that uh, the only thing you know for certain about next year's cherry crop is that it's going to be entirely different why is that Right on the edge of you know summer, um, some of our earliest cherries are just a little over two months from bloom to harvest. And when you're blooming in March and April, in the middle of the spring storms, you know, I mean, in Pacific Northwest, we're we're on the other side of the mountains in some areas, but still, weather can change on a dime. Mother Mother Nature is always boss. Yeah, there's oh, no question. Oh wow, about that's really so, interesting. Yeah, and growers have some mitigation efforts. You can heat your orchards. Uh, there's a lot of wind machines, you know, so even if like a frost, we lost quite a bit of fruit this year to two drops in April. They dropped 60 some degrees overnight, dropped down to 19 degrees. At that point, the too much of the tissue of the little buds will freeze 
it just won't become a flower. You know, a tree is fine. Most if it, if it stays just like that, the tree will be fine. If it gets too cold, it'll actually freeze and kill the whole tree. Oh wow! If it freezes, it won't create fruit that year, but it will like end up being fine. Exactly. Yeah. You know, a little freeze, a little frost will kill the fruit, but a freeze would kill the the tree. And right. Uh, and that certainly happened in the areas. Um, so did know, the nineteen degrees kill just, that tree? Just shaved a lot of the fruit, but you know, a few days development, a few days here or there, because these trees are dormant, they're sleeping through the winter, and they wake up and they start pushing this energy, and they start losing their cold hardiness because they can go through some. I mean, it gets cold here in the Northwest, um, right. and so they can survive that as long as they're dormant, as long as they're in their deep sleep. And so when they start warming up, that's when you can see the damage. When that green tissue mm. of the cherries are exposed, that's when you start seeing disaster. And so growers have all sorts of efforts they can do to try to, to heat it. You know, um, one of my favorites is uh, you know, they can irrigate it. And so they'll turn on sprinklers and they'll just coat everything in ice. And the ice itself is insulating enough to help protect the cherries. And it's just it's such a visually cool thing to see this ice tree, this orchard of ice trees. But I say that, I say it with a smile because it's visually cool, but it, it's a grower investing money and time and, and taking on that huge risk to try to save their crop from freeze. And you got so much invested in it and everything has to align. That's part of the challenge now with this heat dome. It's hot. It's been hot for a long time and we've never experienced something like that. And so how will it, you know, how will it affect the fruit? We hope most of it will come through unscathed. We think that it should. Again, for the same reason, uh, a few days difference in maturity here or there makes the, the world a difference to how weather impacts the fruit. You know, same thing with rain. It's a cool story. You can never really mark it because you know, what we said before, you have to find this right messaging. But a lot of growers will hire at great expense, chopper pilots, helicopter pilots. Uh, wow. So if you come to the Northwest during uh, this time of year, especially in you know, uh, early June and May, you see a lot of helicopters just sitting around all over the place in rural eastern Washington. And there's a pilot stationed with them just in case it rains. Then they hop out in the helicopters and they fly back and forth. You know, just like if you were spreading uh, buttercream, you know, frosting, you know, just that little like to the end, whip around back and forth, you know, back and forth or, uh, or mowing a lawn, you know, that pattern. But there's an, the rotor wash will shake up all the water on the tree, blow the, the water out of the bowls of the cherry where the stem connects and it'll blow that dry. Because if you don't, the water will soak in. And if the cherry is just this, the right or rather wrong stage of maturity, it, it'll uh, explode. Uh, it'll just, it'll, the moisture will be too much for the cherry. And it'll, oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, the skin will burst and then it, you know, drips out. Of course, you can't sell it. And then if you have too much of that, then you can get, you know, powdery mildew and other things. And so, so you, when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, how decadent, how exorbitant, how crazy, you know, to spend this to do that but at the same time you look at this an investment this grower this is those trees it's the land you know i mean they, they're they already invested to such a, a much bigger number to keep this land healthy and alive and take care of everyone and everything that's a part of it if at that point so close to harvest you have to dig deeper in the checkbook and hire a helicopter to fly two or three times over your orchard to save your crop then that's what you do you know you can't lose it and so it's I mean, there's every which way the growers, growers, you, you, you suffer the, there's like the old McDonald type thing where everybody thinks it's idyllic life and everything's awesome and everything's wonderful. And then there's the anti-grower where they're, you know, horrible, you know, labor abusing, land disfiguring, zealots who couldn't care about anything. And, you know, it's not hard to find any of those on a Google search and 
But when it comes down to it, you have this group of people that are that truly do care about the orchard and the workers that make up, you know, the the teams that, that get the jobs done. I mean, it really is a a unit. And so to be get to be a part of something like that is is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's so much more intricate than just the beautiful pink trees that we see in the spring. Well, see, and even then that's the other, because there's so much cherries are such a cultural thing too. It's there's the you know, cherry fashion, cherry print goes in and out of fashion. Like every, you know, seems totally. Yeah. I didn't even um, think about that. Cherry flavor. I mean, there's always a cherry flavor of something, whether it yeah, tastes like cherry, cherry or not. Yeah. Maraschino cherries, just even things that aren't there everywhere. This idea of cherries, cherry that in the cherry blossoms, actually real cherry blossoms are not well, real cherry blossoms, but food, sweet cherry blossoms, the Bing cherry blossom is actually white. Wow. Um, the pink ones are the ornamental flowering and they're right. gorgeous, but they don't produce fruit like fruit. that. Right. Wow. So, that's so fascinating. I was actually just, there's so many cultural and, you know, it's in our language. It's, you're right. Mm-hmm. And it does it. The, even the print t- comes in and it's out of cherry fashion. Or, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just always, it's, and that's what it's, it's such a fun. And that going back to it, it was, we were actually, we were, we were making our own, my wife and I were making our own, um, sparkling wine on the family vineyard there in oh, cool! right yeah and it was fun we moved back and I bought my grandparents house a farmhouse oh vineyard and so somebody had the lease on the, the grapes right then it was in the transition but we bought out some of the, the fruit from these you know 30 plus year old vines and so we were working with a winery in town and she's a winemaker i was the marketer and we were sitting there doing the first crush and listening on the truck radio to the uh, news about the stock market collapse, you know, the, essentially the 2008 collapse. Like, you, know, you know, this might not be the time for two young people to be starting on a sparkling wine brand. It was. I mean, now is the time for it. <laughs> yeah, in 2008, before that, you know, in like April yeah. of 2008, it was a really good time, but uh, October, not so much. And plus, you know, and I got to know a few folks from, you know, within the cherry industry. And I mean, there are a lot of cherry growers in, in the area. And, this opportunity was was coming up and it's just such a fun way to, to be able to, to get the same sort of messaging, support this group of people, you know, that you feel you can really be a part of, you can help keep them doing what they're doing and support you know, all of their efforts. Um, but it also, cherries are still to the point, you know, they're, they're seasonal, you know, as much as important as they are in American culture, you know, George Washington, the cherry tree, you know, there's all these, it just, it is, you know, part of who and what we are, you know, I think in the American lore, but they're really California comes in sometimes in late April and then May, you know, uh, I should say, you know, late April and then May. And sometimes then we'll start in the last couple of days of May or first couple of days of June and then roll through August. Uh, and that's really it for the American sweet cherries, you know, those, that fresh bowl of cherries that you're eating. And, but so there's, there's recognition of what a cherry is and there's all these moments but it also, it's not a 12 month a year product. It's not a soup that's around all of the time or, you know, a, a cheese that can be you know, produced 12 months out of the year or, you know, or beer yeah. brand or wine brand. You're able to, there's some core messaging, but you're able to reinvent it a little bit and, and be nimble and be agile and get ahead of the trends if you're paying attention. Because then that, if you can get ahead of that swell, like surfing, even though I've, I've never been surfing, theoretically, by watching the guy on TV, you know, you paddle and if you get out ahead of the wave, 
that momentum that force the wave carries, you know, the, the surfer ahead of that and, and puts it up, you know, brings it up on top, gets it attention. And, and so that's what we try to do every year with, with cherries is that we have some core messaging, some things that we do every year in retail, but on the creative side, the marketing side allows us to take these health benefits that we know, or, you know, there's a lot that we do that's just focusing on the flavor of cherries, the fun of cherries. It's not a product. I mean, it's, we love cherries because of what they are, not just because now we know they're natural anti-inflammatories, you know, they're just cherries. So we, you know, we talk about both. You don't want to get too far into like a nutraceutical, like, you know, just enjoy cherries. Um, So, but we get to be fun. So what's the trend this year? What's going on? What can we do? And, and, and then work with team of people that know what they're talking about. And we kind of come up with some, some solid plans and, but you can reinvent every year. And so that helps keep the growers get cherries up ahead and keeps them ahead of the pack. I think keeps it fun. So it's something you're yeah. doing year, year round. You're working it year round, but allows you some flexibility while, while stability at the same time. Yeah. I didn't even think about the specialness of it, it being seasonal and it being so fickle. And, you know, like you said, there's so many cultural touch points. And I was just talking about my friends over, like I said, Leah, who's, who's done the podcast before. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm interviewing. It's so exciting. You know, James Michael cherries and and she was we were eating cherries we like had a bowl between us and she was like yeah reminds me of that part in Amelie and I didn't remember but like I'm gonna look it up now and I was I wonder how many like cultural cherry references like I'm I'm like thinking of your Instagram and I'm like wow we should put those all up on your Instagram like they're Mm -hmm. so like you were saying cherry print comes in and out of fashion Mm -hmm. every couple of years like as as much as like almost as I would say like leopard print or like you know uh-huh. what i mean like it or polka dots like it's so Absolutely. it's so ingrained that's so interesting and, and a connection that i hadn't made and then you have those it's like um a couple years ago Katy perry had it i think it was cherry pie or cherry or something like that chapstick cherry um, chapstick cherry chapstick there you go yeah but she dropped that and that was, it was one like she was making a pie or something right but like that whole the video and the you know, song launched and all of a sudden but it went i didn't know, but we were looking at our Instagram, which is you know small. I mean, we believe a lot of marketing should be out there. You know, if you're if you're going to uh, going back to the earlier bit about believing your source, if I go to so and so's promotional website, I'm expecting to get promotional messaging. You know, I take everything with a grain of salt because it's their own writing talking about their own product. So I think most marketing should be out there um, and have other people that believe in it. There are trusted sources, you know, that that vet us, you know, they ask questions and, you know, they yeah. give their own two cents. I think that's, that strikes a consumer different than Northwest cherry recipe from the Northwest cherry guy. Hey, right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> but so we're watching Instagram. It's, it's a, you know, small user uh, or a small number of followers. And all of a sudden, like our numbers just started climbing and there's a lot more interaction and like cherry hashtags are going, I'm like, what on earth is going on? And then it was like popped up. It was like Katy Perry's new song. I was like, oh. That's so funny. So there are these, even though there's a standard culture, everyone, there's like things that come on and, you know, it's today's world where everything is interlinked, you know, totally the hashtag together. And yeah, that's so funny. I remember exactly where I was when that song came out too, because I was teaching yoga and my yoga teacher who taught me how to teach, I was in college and she would play that song all the time in her yoga classes. And it made me so happy and I started doing it too. And so it's like a really pleasant moment in my mind as well. And yeah, it's so funny how cultural things can, can do that. And yeah, with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Little smiles of the day. You know, that's why we just need to kind of keep working our way through everything. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, like smells and songs and taste for sure. Like mm-hmm. I think cherries is such a great example of that too. Like can bring you back to a moment and, you know, a memory. And I think that's really special and cool, especially something that's seasonal and you can't get all the time. Right. Yeah. It's special. Still, you have to enjoy it. It's like Christmas. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Or year end holidays, but you know, you, you love them, but if every day was that way, you eventually you right. wear off. Right. One of my favorite comedians, um, Pete Holmes, says this thing all the time where he's like, would ice cream taste as good if we didn't know we were going to die? You know? Right. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. This week's emoji, I will give you in a second, but comment that on the guest Instagram, on my Instagram, on Northwest Cherry's Instagram to let us know you're listening all the way to the end. Maybe a cherry, maybe what's it going to be? Oh, I know. The cherries will be reserved for the Monday Q&A episode. So again, just to remind you, if you have a question, DM it to let it out with three T's on Instagram or comment it on a recent post we're going to do that's like taking questions for the summer. So would love to get your questions and answer them on a future Monday Q&A episode. Let me know if you're liking those. I would love your feedback. If you like listening to Ellen and I chat really casually, thank you Northwest Cherries for letting us do it. If you want to get the show notes of everything we talk about in these episodes, email directly to you. Sign up for the Let It Out letter. It's short essays from me sometimes and links to these episodes so you could have everything right at your fingertips. And lastly, you know, if you want to support this show, please share it with a friend. Please support the sponsors. It really does help by trying out these new products that I found and loved and are supporting the show. It really means so much if you try them out. Maybe buy it as a gift or, you know, it's just supportive to a project that you listen to. And and that is really kind. And, you know, leaving a review on iTunes is so helpful. If you haven't done that already, it would be really helpful. I love you. I'm so grateful that you're here. And one last thing. I have a new zine that came out. It's called The Creative Combination. If you want to download it, it's free. It's on my website and I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes here. If you have any questions on that, let me know. And I've been doing creative consulting office hours. So if you want to book one of those sessions, I have like two more available, I think this month. So I will put the link to book. If you want to talk to me about working with me one-on-one, there will be the link to that. And okay, without further ado, you listened all the way to the end of this very long episode with two guests and a long outro for me. The emoji is the happy face, whatever happy face you want to give because of the title of Dana's project. And again, comment that on all of our Instagrams and I will talk to you Monday. Love you. Bye-bye.